Today from the Global Lane, with nuclear talks set to resume, Israel calls for a more robust response to stop Iran. They will continue with their deception, with their lies, uh, to the goal of achieving a nuclear bomb. Ronald Reagan's legacy and honoring those who served. You need to remember vets, not three days a year. You need to remember vets 365 days a year. World leaders gather in Glasgow. Has time expired to save the planet? We're being fed a bill of goods about the non-horrific consequences of this modest warming. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Iran is moving full steam ahead, thwarting international efforts to monitor its nuclear development program. So much so that the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency now says it's like flying in a heavily clouded sky. This comes as negotiations reviving the 2015 nuclear agreement are set to resume by the end of this month. Well, here to weigh in on this is Israel's representative to the United Nations, Ambassador Danny Danon. Mr. Ambassador, it's good to talk with you again. So how does the international community bust through this heavily clouded sky that the IAEA director general says exists with Iran, or should we even attempt to break through it? So I cannot understand it. We know that the Iranians are lying from the beginning. You know, since the day the agreement was signed back in 2015, and we'll see what's happening today on the ground. Uh, you look at the nuclear capabilities, enrichment of the uranium, the ballistic missile tests, and I ask myself, how can the P5 plus one still believe them? Uh, and as we speak, the, they are actually trying to convince the Iranians to, to re-enter the agreement, the same bad agreement that was signed in 2015, uh, I cannot get it. I think the, the U.S. should lead a different approach and should actually demand from the Iranians to stop with their aggression, to stop with their nuclear ambitions, and not to actually give them the legitimacy that they want to receive by re-entering the JCPOA. So how far have they come? I, I know Iran has proceeded aggressively to enrich uranium ever since the U.S. abandoned the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. It's now at a 60% level. And I've got to remind our viewers that a level of 90% is weapons grade. Once you hit 60%, it doesn't take long to reach 90. So how far away do you think the Islamic Republic is from actually possessing a nuclear weapon? Well, the, the numbers you mentioned are, are accurate. And, uh, I want to remind you uh, and the viewers that with North Korea, it was exactly the same. They negotiated, they went out from the room, they came back, and, and all of a sudden we woke up one morning and they announced that they actually performed a, a nuclear test. Uh, we cannot allow Iran to, to be at the same situation. And it's not only about Israel. All the moderate countries, the strongest allies of the U.S. in the region, are saying it very clearly. We should not allow Iran to become nuclear and to have that capability. And that's why we in Israel, we are determined to block them, even if it means it will be only us fighting against their ambitions. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because both President Biden and U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken insist that Iran will not be allowed to develop a nuclear weapon on their watch. But do you really believe them? How sincere is the U.S. commitment to prevent Iran from doing so? So here in the Middle East, uh, time has a, a very important meaning. And the Iranians, they are very patient. They can wait. They can wait for another president. They have seen presidents come and, and leave the White House. You know, they dealt with President Obama, with President Trump, now President Biden. 
and they are moving forward. So, you know, declarations are important, but, but actual actions are much more important in the Middle East. And if the U.S. and, and the other Western democracies will not take actions against Iran, and we will hear only declarations, they will continue with their deception, with their lies, uh, to the goal of achieving a nuclear bomb. I think the key is deception, what you said. And we saw long uh, gas lines recently uh, in Iran just last, last, uh, last month after a cyber attack occurred against their fuel supply. And that came just a few days, I guess, after Iran launched missiles against U.S. troops in Syria. And your country has been preparing its air force for a possible strike against Iranian nuclear facilities. So is diplomacy dead at this point? Is the military option the only one that remains? What's the best way to resolve this nuclear dispute at this point? I think we should uh, apply more pressure. We should uh, reinstate the sanctions. They were very effective uh, back when Trump was in, in, in power. I think we should look at the uh, other economical measures. And I have to say very clearly, we have nothing against the Iranian people. They are suffering from the regime, but we have to apply more pressure against the regime, uh, personal sanctions, uh, and I think that would be the best way to, to convince them. If there would be no other choice, we also leave the military option on the table. Well, it seems like we're heading down that road. I, I, as you said, it's, it's delay, it's delay, build, delay, build. Uh, how much longer do you think it's going to be? How much time do you have? So I, I think what we are seeing now that they are acquiring the capabilities. Uh, and uh, when they will decide to race, it will, can be very fast. So that's why even in Israel, as, as we speak, the parliament is voting on the budget for the year of 22. And you will see in the budget line of the state of Israel that we are actually allocating the funds for all scenarios. We are not playing the game. Uh, we are serious about it. Well, we're serious about praying for Israel and praying for peace in the Middle East. Israel's representative at the UN, Ambassador Danny Danon, good to talk with you again. Thank you so much for sharing your time and insights. Thank you very much. Each year, just two weeks before Thanksgiving, Americans celebrate a day to thank our veterans. Unlike Memorial Day, it's a time to honor the living, those who have served, those who are serving this great nation of ours. Joining us is the son of America's 40th president, Michael Reagan. Mr. Reagan is president of the Reagan Foundation, a best-selling author and syndicated columnist. Michael, always good to talk with you. I want to discuss uh, the Legacy Foundation and what you're doing to honor your dad and veterans, but... First, your father. Uh, he held a special place in his heart for American war heroes and servicemen and women. What would he think about the way our veterans are being treated today, or should I say mistreated? <laughs> I, I, think he, I think he'd be very upset. He was very upset back in the 1970s, the way they were being treated, especially when they came home from Vietnam, and he did something about that. And he would make sure that our veterans were treated with great respect, uh, those who are coming home, those who are here, that need really all the help they can get, especially when you have so many committing suicide on a regular basis, up 46% in this last year. He would try to get to the bottom of it and say, what can we do to help these vets? And I think people really need to understand, I think what he would tell people is, you need to remember vets, not three days a year. You need to remember vets 365 days a year. And unfortunately, we only do it three days instead of 365 days. We need to think about that all the time, 
not just part of the time. I know some friends of Gold Star families have expressed concern that illegal immigrant families separated from their children at the U.S. southern border are being awarded <laughs> nearly $1 million, while family members of U.S. servicemen killed in Afghanistan receive only about $100,000 death gratuity. What does this say about government's attitude towards our servicemen and women and veterans? Well, in, in the world of defund the police, uh, is anybody really surprised by any of this that's going on, where you really lack respect for those who are, in fact, protecting us, and you have all this disdain for them and the people of America while reaching out? And it's really all about elections. It's all about bringing people in here, giving them money uh, to get them to vote so it keeps you in power for a much longer period of time. And we just can't afford to allow these people to be in power that length of time. We need to do something about it. We need to have a voice. We need to say something. We need to stand up and say, I've, I've taken all I'm going to take and, and really get involved. And don't sit back and say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything if I vote. It means a lot if you vote. You need to show up. And I know you're doing a lot to help our veterans. Uh, please tell us what you are doing uh, to help with your Walkway to Victory program. Actually, Walkway to Victory is, is a great program. We started a few years ago. We started with the Reagan Legacy Foundation supplying scholarships to the men and women aboard the USS Ronald Reagan. That's where this flight jacket comes from. They made it for me. And it's been a great program ever since the early 2000s when we christened the USS Ronald Reagan in 2001 in Norfolk. And, and since then, we've kind of expanded it and you might remember my father was the first president to actually speak at Normandy on D-Day. And since then, every other president's gone to Normandy on a D-Day of their administration and, in fact, spoken. And people love him and really respect him for what he's done for the World War II vets. And remember, my dad did 300 you know, films during that period of time, uh, teaching uh, kids how to use a parachute, how to swim, all these other programs that he did during the Second World War. And so I thought, what we, could we do to honor his memory and legacy of how well he felt about those who served and honor those who did serve back in the Second World War? And so we created the Walkway to Victory at St. Mary Glees, Normandy, France. It's an unbelievable place for the 101st and 82nd Airborne. It's their Gettysburg, if you will. And we thought about putting together a walkway where people could go online, buy a brick, and have it inlaid in the ground at St. Mary Glees to remember that person who, in fact, served in the European theater during the Second World War. And we're up to now somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 bricks have been laid. People put the names of their loved one, grandparents, whatever it might be, who served. And those who don't know someone can go to ReaganLegacyFoundation.org and or send a check to us, put in the memo, Brick Project, and we will find a, a World War II vet that served the European theater, put his name on it or her name on it, put it in the ground and lay it in the ground, and then send you the information so you know exactly who you sponsored for people to remember that's there at St. Mary Glees at the uh, Walkway to Victory, in the Walkway to Victory at the Airborne Museum. Okay, a great way to honor veterans on this Veterans Day. Michael Reagan, president of the Reagan Foundation, author and syndicated columnist. Thank you, Michael, for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
It's billed as one of the most important diplomatic meetings in world history. Leaders and their minions from 130 countries gathered in Glasgow, Scotland this week for the COP26 Global Climate Summit. Event host British Prime Minister Boris Johnson warned that humanity has run down the clock when it comes to climate change. And the time for action is now. Well, joining us with more is CO2 Coalition Executive Director Gregory Wrightstone. He's the best-selling author of Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Okay, Greg, the clock has run down. We're all doomed. The time for action is now. What action should we take? Uh, we should welcome the warmth and the additional CO2. What we see here at the CO2 Coalition uh, is that the modest warming that we've seen since the turn of the century, it's eight-tenths of a degree, doesn't sound too alarming to me, combined with increasing CO2 is leading is leading to an earth that's thriving and prospering, ecosystems are thriving, and the human condition and humanity are benefiting from this. It's, it's completely at odds with what we're being told. We're being uh, fed a bill, bill of goods about the, the non-horrific consequences of this modest warming. Why is um, that? Why is that, Greg? That's a good question. Why are they doing that? And uh, as a scientist and the scientists here at the CO2 Coalition, we can provide you with the facts. We can provide you and say, okay, Gary, this is what they're telling you, and this is what the facts really are. And it's, it's on so many different levels, fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, rising, dangerously rising sea levels. Uh, all of these, when you look at the data, uh, is contrary to what we're being told in the media. And, and what they're doing, these are, uh, what they're proposing over in Scotland right now are uh, crippling. They'll be economically crippling to the United States and to the Western developed nations. Uh, what the, I think the biggest story, Gary, that we, we have coming out of this, uh, this COP26 in, in Glasgow, is the big story is who's not there and who's not, who is thumbing their nose at it. Uh, it's Russia. Putin's not going. He's not even going to dial in for a Zoom call. Uh, President Xi of China's not going. Uh, and Prime Minister Modi, which this takes the cake, and you just shake your head. He's, he, he attended. Um, he has no interest at all in reining in his carbon dioxide emissions. He, he agreed yesterday and announced in the morning uh, that India was going to go to net zero by the year 2070, 50 years in the future. These three leaders have a great understanding of how you get a, a vibrant, dynamic, growing economy. And that's why providing their three descriptors I like to use for electricity generation, it should be reliable, abundant, and affordable. None of those three descriptors can, can be used to describe solar or wind-generated electricity, unreliable. The uh, general director of the IAEA uh, was basically pushing uh, nuclear energy. He suggested nuclear power should be considered as, quote, an indispensable element to the mix. Now, it wasn't that long yeah. ago, if you remember, environmentalists opposed, successfully prevented the construction of more nuclear power plants. So your thoughts about that? I, I like nuclear as an abundant resource. France certainly has embraced it. Uh, somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of, of France's electricity is derived from nuclear. Uh, Germany, though, the great example, Germany's gone the other way. We need this fossil fuel-fired energy. We need nuclear. 
Um, and after you've already abandoned that and blown up your nuclear facilities and blown up the, the coal-fired electricity plants and destroyed them, you'd have, it takes many decades to rebuild that. It's not, we can't turn it back. You can destroy it pretty quickly, but you're not gonna be able to, once you realize the stupidity and the error of your ways. Um, I, I, I fear for America. I fear for the Western world. Uh, but once again, China, Russia, India, three of the largest, two of the three top emitters, uh, they're not playing the game. They're, they're, they're thumbing their nose at it at, at Glasgow and COP26. And they're moving full steam ahead, are they not? So... Gregory Wrightstone, CO2 Coalition Executive Director, author of Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Thank you, Greg. We appreciate you. Thank you. Nuns forced to fund abortions. Churches shut down during the worst of the pandemic, but not BLM demonstrators gathering in protest. These are just several examples of discrimination against Christians in America today. More of it may be coming. But what about persecution, beatings, imprisonment, torture, even death? For now, it isn't happening in most Western nations, but it is happening every day in restricted countries and hostile areas around the world. During my travels, when I ask persecuted Christians what we can do for them, the first thing they say is pray for us. So let's honor that request collectively on November 7th. That's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. This year for IDOP Sunday, the Voice of the Martyrs produced a special video about their founders, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. It's from their new film, Sabina. Take a look. In 1940, Nazi forces invaded Richard and Sabina Wormbrand's home country, Romania. There were no safe spaces for Jews. And though Christian, Richard and Sabina were ethnic Jews. Be afraid, for I am with you. Genesis 26. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua 8. I am. I'm kind of afraid. Perhaps you 
still can. Run away? If we stay, I'll follow the others into prison. It will be the end of our life together. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. Richard and Sabina, like many Christians during World War II, had a choice. Lay low and hope the worst passed them by or get involved and be the hands and feet of Christ. All at great personal risk. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. they are coming, then they are coming. Let's not think of them as enemies to be feared, but rather as a mission. We're told in Hebrews 13.3 to continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So this Sunday and every day, Let's not forget our family members, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are persecuted only because they follow Jesus Christ. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.